everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Luck, and I'm co-worker Jordan Bianchi. We are writers for The Athletic, and this is another one of our off-season podcasts. Only one left after this, Jordan, but fortunately, it seems like it's going to be in person at Nashville, <laughs> uh, so we'll be able to record one more time in person before the year's over. Are you looking forward to that? That is a Christmas miracle that I'm looking forward to. That is the gift of everything I could ask for this holiday season. Seeing you in person one last time is what I want more than anything. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, listen, uh, before we, before we get into the podcast, um, I, I got to give a quick shout out to the black Friday deal because there's a chance that some of you are listening to this as we are recording this Sunday afternoon, you're, you're actually listening to this Sunday or Monday. As far as we know right now, the Black Friday deal ends Monday night. And in that case, uh, the $1 deal for the entire year, uh, $1 a month will go away for new subscribers. And we don't want you to miss that. So that's why I'm giving it a shout right here at the top of the podcast. Um, just go to theathletic.com slash the teardown and you will be able to, to subscribe to all of The Athletic for $12 for the entire year, $1 a month. And that is truly the best day of the year. All these other deals we've plugged you know, sometimes there's like 50% off and stuff like that, but uh, $1 a month is, they never go lower than that. So if you're listening to this Sunday or Monday, November 29th, be sure to take advantage of that before the day is over. Otherwise, if you're listening to this Tuesday or later, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. It's a little late, but anyway, <laughs> let's get on to the content of today's uh, podcast, which is our favorite moments of the year, Jordan. I mean, I'm excited to hear uh, your reasons for the ones you picked. I am looking forward to this as well. And going through this list and going through every race that happened this year and some things that kind of happened not at races, I realized that this was a really big year. A lot of things happened on the track, off the track. And I think this is one of those years that we look back on down the road and go, wow, that, that 2021 season was quite wild. So, yeah, it, it was definitely uh, a lot happened this year for sure. Um, so here's how here's what we did. Jordan and I sort of combined to come up with, I don't know, maybe a, a dozen or so, would you say? Yeah. A dozen, dozen. or so moments. Uh, we each sort of were throwing some out. And then I put them all in a in a Google form and we voted on them um, without seeing what the other person was picking. Uh, we ranked them one through five. And then I assigned points to them, straight up points, you know, five points for first place, four points for second place, nothing too complicated or anything. And we combine those to come up with our best moments of the year. Um, obviously, we'll talk about ones later that didn't make the cut, but we're going to count down from number five to number one, and we will share um, how we voted on each of these. So the first one is um, the Daytona 500. Penske teammates crash going for it. Michael McDowell ends up the winner. Jordan ranked this as his fourth best moment of the year. I didn't have it in my top five at all. So Jordan, uh, to you, what made this one of your favorite moments of the year? It's the biggest race. It's NASCAR's biggest race. The most eyeballs are on this race. It seemed like a foregone conclusion that one of the Penske drivers was going to win that race, whether it was Logano, whether it was Keslowski. We have heard for a long time that the team harmony within Penske is really good, that everybody likes each other. It's a kumbaya thing. And that Roger Penske's mantra has always been, you guys can race each other hard, but the one thing you cannot do is rack each other. And on the going into turn three on the last lap, it was a matter of, okay, which Penske driver is going to win? Because passing was really tough that day. 
it's so they seemed like they had control of the race and instead it wasn't a Penske driver in victory lane. What the day 2500 had was an incredible finish with Michael McDowell, this upset out of nowhere winner winning his first career race in Cinderella fashion and punching his ticket to the playoffs and both Penske drivers sitting, you know, basically their hands on their hips going, what the heck just happened? How did we lose this race? And for me personally, and I think a lot of these moments that we were going to talk about was things that I witnessed firsthand was seeing the Penske race cars in the garage. And you had Joey Logano on over here, his car and Keselowski over there with his car. And both of them were just staring at their race cars, wandering around. And like Logano was literally like scratching his head, like kind of just, you could see that he was like piecing this together. Like what the hell just happened? And to me just jumps out. Yeah, that's I mean, I obviously can't argue with that. I think Daytona 500 has its place. Um, I think ultimately for me, um, I think people will remember, you know, oh, Michael McDowell won that one, but they won't necessarily remember, you know, how it happened. Or I think they'll, you know, they'll remember it got, got kind of crashy. Uh, it was a little yeah. bit on the crashy side, that one. And, um, you know, I guess as we've talked about, maybe in my older age a little bit, uh, I don't like the craziness, you know, the total chaos as much. I like to, to see things decide a little bit more straight up. And I mean, this, that's the nature of Daytona and super speedway racing, of course. But, um, I guess maybe the, one of the reasons I didn't include it in my favorite moments was, uh, I, it to me, a lot of the details of that race, even now without going back and looking at it are a little bit hazy except for McDowell and except for the last lap. I'm not, I can't really remember things that triggered some of the other wrecks and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, it just didn't rank among that, but I don't certainly argue with that. I'm sure it's somewhere in my top 10, but yeah. Yeah. It's not a race. It's not the, one of the top five or 10 best races of the year. Cause I don't think it was one of the best races. The middle part of that race was really kind of boring, but the end of that race, um, was, was something I don't think a lot of people are going to remember. And it's going to be one of those races too, that you're going to see on highlights for, you know, from here to eternity. So that had two points, uh, because Jordan voted fourth, which was worth two. Obviously I didn't have it at all. So zero. So that was worth two points. This next one, uh, similar situation, it, but it's three points because I had it as my third best moment. Jordan didn't have it at all. And that is returning to the garage again after 2020. And the reason I picked this was I'm just, I mean, these are my personal favorite moments. And I think my first time, uh, back in the, cause even remember Daytona 500, uh, we were, I was interviewing people, uh, interviewing Corey LaJoy through, uh, the, the fan zone autograph window for a 12 questions. I was interviewing Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe through a chain link fence from far away. We still weren't allowed in the garage. We weren't even allowed to, to talk to people, or even be outside without our masks on at the, at the time. Um, and so, I mean, that was all this year. And, uh, of course even got some complaints from other media members that we were skirting the rules by talking to people through a glass window, you know, we're I mean, bad it was boys just, of the NASCAR media corps. I mean, it was like, I mean, that was this year. That's how long this year has been that, <laughs> I mean, that seems like a, a lifetime ago. Right. But, um, so when NASCAR required that, uh, media members uh, get vaccinated in order to get garage access. We quickly did that. They started re- restoring garage ex- access at Darlington in May. And my first race back uh, after that uh, was the Coda race shortly thereafter. And I just remember, and that was also the first race where you didn't have to wear masks outside um, anymore. And I just remember like 
just the smiles on people's faces. Just like, wow, like I could see people's faces again. This is so great. I remember <laughs> Joey Logano like flagged a group of us down and we just stood around talking and, um, you know, just, just in the garage area. And, and it was just like so refreshing. Just like, um, I don't know. I just remember that for a long time. Like, you know, we had had that sort of taken away that personal interaction and sure. gone to all these races and not really been able to feel like we we're doing our jobs and to get back and have that opportunity again. Um, you know, even with this new variant that we see now, you know, that pops up and you go, Oh boy, I wonder if this is going to be taken away again. And so it just reminds you to not take anything for granted. And I've carried that attitude through the whole year. And just that moment of, Hey, the payoff after quarantine and, and trying to be patient to get back. I mean, that's, that's definitely one of my favorite moments of the year. That's why I ranked it number three. Uh, this was one I struggled. I, I struggled with a lot on this list. And I, and I texted you this, like I could have had uh, out of the dozen that we had on here. I probably could have all 10 in my top five in some order. This was one I really struggled with. And I actually had in my top five and I took it out the last minute. I echo everything you said. I was at that Darlington race where NASCAR first allowed people in the garage. And I will not forget just standing there. Um, it wasn't even the cup series side. It was on the Xfinity series race on Saturday and just standing there in the garage going, am I supposed to be here? It felt wrong. It felt <laughs> like, I mean, it had been, you got to remember before that, the last time I'd been in a cup series garage or, you know, had been day 2,500, 2020. Yeah. And so for me, Almost I, a year I, and a half later. Yeah, exactly. And so I just remember being in the garage and feeling like this is really odd and weird. And I don't feel like, I feel like security was going to come up to me at some point and escort me out. And you're seeing people and you're like, and you did the awkward, am I shaking your hand? Are we fist bumping? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we supposed to do that? But it, it, it did. It, it didn't really start to feel, I mean, it, you know, as the weekend went on, it kind of felt more normal. But even then the next race I was at, which was the Coca-Cola 600 the week after Coda, the one you were at, it still was kind of that transition. It was still, it was still, it took a little while to get used to it again. So, and I agree the, the significance of that and the big picture of what it meant, uh, it, it cannot be stated enough. Yeah. And you know, the things, you know, the way access has gone this year, it's come and gone, you know, do you have to wear masks? Do you have to do stuff outdoors? You know, do you have to get sniffed by the COVID dog when we go places, things like that? You know, obviously we're still every, every race this year. I think we always had to wear masks indoors. I don't think that ever changed as far as I, I don't, I can't remember a time where they no, lifted that. It has not changed that, at all. Right? Yeah. But you know, so there's sort of these waves of normalcy, but when you get in a situation, like I remember, uh, at Texas this fall, and I, you know, I was just walking around it was just race day and, and it just felt so normal, I guess. And, you know, without people, you know, kind of stopping you for extra stuff or whatever. And you're just like, man, like, it's just nice to feel, you know, normal just, and, and forget that everything happened for a minute, you know? And, and, uh, you know, that, that was a time where you're just like, I don't know if we'll ever feel this way again. And, and some things have changed and we'll never change back for sure. But, um, I don't know. I think in every facet of your life, you know, that's what, 2021 will be about in a lot of ways was, um, sort of like that. Okay. We, we survived 2020 and we're back doing some of the things, you know, people are getting back to concerts or travel or whatever it is. And obviously it's, again, it's still not totally the same, but, um, it's at least enough of a taste of it that you definitely appreciate it now. So, um, that's, you know, again, that's why I'll remember it. So, yeah, I agree. So, uh, quickly to our number three moment already. And this was the first one where we both had in our top five. I had this number four. You had this number three for a total of five points. And that is when we were both at Talladega and we were witnessing uh, Bubba Wallace win his first 
race on a postponed Monday, uh, rain shortened. Um, now, obviously, it goes without saying we didn't include this on our favorite moments because we're rooting for Bubba to win or we're Bubba fans or something. But um, I'm sure I'm not speaking out of turn here. You know, from a journalistic journalistic perspective, you want to be where the big moments are. And everything about that day, like on pit road and stuff, uh, it felt like a big moment. It felt like a big deal. You know yes. what I mean? And, and that's what I'll remember about that. Like it, it, was, it felt like, oh, this is something, you know, you're taking videos of mm-hmm. right after and, and you're like, okay, a lot of people are going to see this video. This is the kind of thing that could go viral or, you know, a lot of people are going to be t- paying attention to what we write after this or, or whatever. Like it's a big moment in the, in the sport, um, for history. So that's why I, I put it on my list. What about you? I, I, I debated on where to put this on my list. I actually felt like I should have had it maybe higher, but at the end of the day, the reason I didn't have it higher is it happened on a Monday. So I think the delay kind of stunted that a little bit. If this had been on a Sunday, it was on, it was going to be on big NBC, you know, the Talladega, that race usually generates a pretty big number, a lot of eyeballs or anything. So if that would have happened on a Sunday in the traditional slot, I think that the mag- the magnitude would have been even more than it was. And it is, it was a huge moment. Um, so I think that is why I, I didn't put it higher for me, but I agree with what you said. We, we root for stories. You know, we don't root for drivers to win races. We root for the big stories. That's what we want to cover. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I remember with about, I don't know, I couldn't tell you how many laps were left, but I remember the rain was coming. It was going to rain. And I remember you were sitting across from me and I looked over at you and Bubba was in the mix to get the lead or he might've been leading. I think he was leading. Yeah. And we looked at, I looked at you and you looked at me and I was like, we didn't say anything. I think we just both knew like, this feels like this is happening. And like, we both kind of like got the sense of like, okay, this is, this feels like it's going to be one of those days, you know? And, and it was, and I remember they stopped the race and I remember you and I were walking out there we walked out there and we passed Bubba's pits. We stopped and we looked at each other and we said, okay, I'm going to stay here at Bubba's pit stall. You're going to go down to, to where Bubba was at the end of pit road and kind of get that. And we're going to figure this out as we go. And just remember everything that, how that transpired. It's as clear as day to me as anything that happened this year. I remember maybe because it just happened two months ago, though it feels like maybe it happened six months ago because of this year, but everything was as clear as day. And I'll never forget the fans chanting and the, the family that I talked to and everything. And, and, and to get to, to have those conversations with the, with, with the people that were there and for them to explain why it meant so much to them for Bubba winning that race was something that I will not forget. And we have to remember, this is the only second time this has ever happened in NASCAR history and the first time in the modern era. And this was a huge deal. And I, it's, we were covering history and to be able to do that, um, Honestly, it was a privilege. Yeah. So, I mean, a few things about that, right? Like, I think, first of all, when a moment like that happens, it feels like it felt similar to me to like uh, the Ryan Newman um, crash at Daytona. Obviously, two completely different things, but it's like, okay, something big just happened. Okay. It's, it's you know, you, you, you sort of, it's a different feeling than like, oh, Kyle Larson just won his seventh, eighth, ninth race of the year, whatever it is. And, you know, we're going to cover that, you know, it's just so like a normal thing happened like this, this feels like something that we need to, uh, you know, really jump on and get an extra angle and and pay attention to. And, and like, I mean, isn't that what, you know, as a journalist, you want to be there for the memorable stuff and say, Oh yeah, I was, I was covering this or whatever. Um, now that said, like you touched on earlier, had that been on a Sunday, had it also, you know, been straight up win and not a rain delay, 
win. I, I think ultimately it, it felt maybe even bigger in the moment that it actually was received nationally because I don't think it got the response looking back on it um, a couple months later that, you know, maybe we anticipated just because, um, I don't know, like it, it, the circumstances weren't there to give it the big spotlight. I mean, there wasn't that many people watching on a Monday afternoon. And by the time that it had been decided like an hour afterwards, you remember they tried to restart that race and keep it going. And then once those big, huge, heavy drops picked up on pit road, I remember standing there and you're like over here, I'm over here, you know, we're getting our videos ready, um, stuff like that. So, um, I, I just don't think it, it was, it, it resonated, uh, as much, obviously it had a big response, um, but not maybe like the, the massive magnitude that I always envisioned that it would. I'm also happy, I guess that it's out of the way now in a sense where like next time Bubba wins, uh, you know, you won't have to do like the history angle of it. It'll just be mm-hmm. more like, okay, what does this mean for the competitive standpoint? Because I um, mean, the same thing would have been true if, if had Danica ever won a race or whatever, right? Sure. Like, um, you know, you, you would have expect, okay, this, these more X amount, more people are going to be paying attention now. Um, but I think thirdly, like, interestingly enough, what most comes out of that weekend, um, not a favorite moment because I don't think it's good for NASCAR at all was the let's go Brandon thing two days earlier. Oh yeah. That's a really I mean, good point. I forgot about that. I mean, that's, that's what that weekend's legacy <laughs> Might turn out to be more than anything, ironically. I, like speaking on that, I don't mean to quickly change subjects. I saw I was at a uh, at a mall a few days ago with my parents, and we were walking through there, and one of the stores was selling in their display window, "Let's Go Brandon" shirt, and I like I stopped and I looked at it and I went, "Damn, that's right! Wow, okay." And but you're right. I mean, that was the same weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's um, that that obviously is everywhere, you know, and and. Um, you know, people associated with NASCAR, obviously, I mean, people, I don't think it's, it's like some sort of indictment on NASCAR, but for NASCAR, you know, president Steve Phelps coming out and saying, you know, we don't want to get involved politically one way or the other. And then to have, you know, let's go Brandon, let's go Brandon everywhere. Um, in the last couple months since then, and, and really not going away. It doesn't seem like, I mean, it's completely mainstream. Um, you know, I, I remember I, I talked to Brandon Brown the morning of the, rain delay, I think. Yeah. Cause I was, mm-hmm. I put it in my top five and he was saying at the time, this was just, you know, in the immediate aftermath, you know, I really hope this doesn't get political and it can just be kind of funny and blah, blah, blah. Well, unfortunately he didn't get to control the, the narrative. The narrative. I mean, it just yeah. spun way out of, out of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously that's a moment that will, uh, be that weekend. <laughs> yeah. That was a big, big weekend. So now we get to, um, Number two and number one, unfortunately, which kind of I, are intertwined. Yeah, they are. And it's weird because I didn't know this, how to separate them. This won't surprise anyone what the two top two moments are. It's just that we voted differently uh, on them. Uh, they were both in our top two. We just had them in a different order, so they both tied with nine points. And uh, and I'm sure a little bit slightly different reasons too. But um, so well, not maybe not not different reasons, but anyway. So yes, it was the Bristol. We had everything Bristol night race is the description for one of them. I had that as my second highest. You had that as your number one and the Harvick Roval incident, Mary off season, happy Christmas, Chase Elliott. I would throw Kyle toward. Larson in there too for the Roval when I, we talked about this. I don't think I mentioned it, but I would throw Kyle Larson in that as well. Um, just because there was a point his that comeback, race, yeah. his comeback because he was out of that. He was out of the playoffs. 
yeah, so that's my number one, and that's your number two. So um, why did you rank those in the order that you did? So this is weird. As we're talking about this now and talking about the Roval and talking about Kyle Larson, and I had this as my number two, I'm starting to think maybe I should have had this as number one because of everything it entailed because it did, in fact, kind of lead to Kyle Larson setting him up to win the championship because there was a point in that race where he looked like he was done for and that champion, any, you know, the dominate driver of the year was done in the playoffs round two of the playoffs. That was shocking. That said, I don't think you have, I think I had Bristol number one because it sets up the role without Bristol happening. You don't have the Roval. And um, to me, Bristol encompassed everything that is great about NASCAR. You had classic short track racing on a classic track, bumping and banging, hard racing, guys making moves. You know, that weekend you had in the Xfinity Series race, you had an incredible finish that looked like something out of a movie. And so everything that entailed at Bristol. And then, and again, this was happened to be a race I was at, as we have talked about in this podcast once or twice. Um, <laughs> I will never. <laughs> I will never forget, like, I mean, we knew that like Harvick and Elliott were mad at each other, obviously, with how things had transpired. You didn't know what was going to happen, but I'll never forget being at the opening of pit road and seeing Elliott come down pit road and Harvick was right behind them. And I don't know why, but just the way they came in, Harvick came in, he slammed on the brakes. You could tell like he was just pissed. And then he gets out of his race car and you're like, okay, like you just knew, like you just, even before he even got out of the race car, you just knew like this was, this was something. And then him like going over and they had the conf- confrontation and everything that happened there. And then I, I won't forget Harvick slamming down his helmet and his glasses, like just flying. And as our friend NASCAR chasm has, you know, used many times, it's like, it's one of those moments that it's just, it's, it's incredible. And so I just remember everything about that. So to me, I, I, this was what NASCAR was about. Angry tempers, hard racing, uh, great racing, short track. This was why it was number one. So I think I kind of answered that backwards, but that's why I had Bristol number one. And you can't have what happened at the roll roll between Ellie and Harvick doesn't happen. It doesn't have the same context, doesn't have the same meaning if you don't have what happened at Bristol. So uh, do you want me to keep going about the roll roll here or do you want to jump in here? Yeah, let me touch on Bristol, I guess, real quick. I mean, first of all, um, you know, number one race ever in the in the good race poll. So obviously, I mean, that was it, it was a great race altogether. You didn't just need the Harvick Elliott stuff, but you know that that capped off that drama capped off um, a great race. And I mean, to me, my favorite memory of of that is obviously you being in the mix. I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, I can probably count on one hand the, the amount of times I've laughed with delight, I guess, after, after a race, um, now this one I was watching on TV, but I was just the moment I saw you in the mix there and, and, uh, Harvick then turning toward you and yelling at you and stuff. I was like, Oh my gosh. You know, like I couldn't believe that that was all going down. That was very surreal. What were you um, thinking then, as this was happening? I'm curious. You never talked about this. Uh, I was just, I thought it was hilarious. I just thought it was, I mean, when Rick Allen is giving you a shot, you know, oh, Jordan, you know, they're like doing the play by play of it or whatever. Uh, Jordan, they want Jordan to put his camera phone down or whatever. And, and I'll never uh, forget your text, by the way. Yeah. Your I was like, I got to text Jordan. I, you're on national no, TV. It was right the opposite. Now I texted you. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was for the F1 that race. I said, heads up, yeah. like, Hey, I'm here. I, I didn't think I didn't know this was on camera. And I texted you and said, Hey, FYI, 
Chase and Harvick are having another, you know, con- I don't confrontation line, whatever you want to say it, you know, in yeah. the garage. I don't know if you know this and you text it back. No expletive. I see it on TV. <laughs> they just name checked you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then you explained it to me. So that was, yeah. Yeah. I, you're right. You're right. Cause my first instinct was to just tweet it along with everybody else and be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, so that was, that was pretty, uh, memorable, but I mean the, the whole thing, like, um, their conversation and, and I mean, you had sort of like the previous generation of NASCAR, yes. like Harvick's on the sort of the tail end of it now and clashing with the current generation. And, you know, and, and I think also like I felt immediately strongly about how it went down also. Like, so I had a take that was that, you know, I, I didn't feel like I felt Elliot was justified in going half throttle or whatever he ended up doing to sort of get, get in his way. Um, you know, he didn't, he didn't, you know, I, I, all these people said, you know, for weeks afterwards, Oh, he manipulated the end of that race. And, you know, he let, he held him up enough for Larson to win. I mean, Elliot was going to be in decent position in that race. And then Harvick kind of, you know, came up the track, took him out. They clapped, you know, they cut tires down. He felt like that had happened previously. And so he said, oh, you know what, I'm going to come out new tires. I'm just going to kind of, kind of get in the way a little bit. He didn't, he didn't do anything that was like unethical in my view, um, in response to that. And then obviously Harvick was completely incensed by it and felt like that cost him his only win of the year, which it ultimately it did. That was yeah. his one great chance to win. Um, but it's not Elliot's fault that, um, you know, he didn't win a race this year and that was his only opportunity. So, you know, I guess just everything that went into that, you know, you immediately sort of like, okay, we can debate this. We can debate their reactions. We can debate that, you know, like there was so much, so much meat there, uh, that was so fun to talk about. Um, obviously not for them to talk about, but, um, you know, you want to watch a race and you want people to give you something to stand around at the water cooler. And that was the moment like that, that, really, really led to it. So, I mean, yeah, for me, that was my number two. That's your number one, uh, understandable either way. I think, I think, so, you, yeah, now let's you know, go ahead. I was going to say, I think you make a really good point is that this was felt to me like this was a, in the wrong context, a little bit of the passing of the torch of like one generation from another. Like there was a lot of, and we heard about this from Harvick in the weeks afterwards. Like he mentioned it the next week at tech at Las Vegas, like talking to chase, like talking to my nine-year-old where it felt like this was a schism between NASCAR's older generation and NASCAR's younger generation. And that this was kind of the lack of a better term, the, the old man standing in his lawn telling the kids get off my lawn, you know, or how our things were better back in my day. And that this was the younger generation saying, listen, we're here, we're successful. We're doing it this way because this is how we do it now. And if you don't like it tough and you could just feel like, and then the events at the Roval kind of underscored that of like, this is the NASCAR's future generation is here and emerged and they're here to stay. And NASCAR's previous generation is, is certainly kind of taking that next step on the way out. Yes. I mean, I voted the Roval, um, as my top moment. Um, even the Larson stuff aside, the Larson stuff you mentioned about him coming back. I mean, that's, you're right. That, that set him up well. And, and, uh, he obviously, there was a moment there that looked like he might not make it through, but I mean, there was, two completely jaw dropping <laughs> moments. Plus a, I thought hilarious moment, um, from that race. And, you know, so first of all, I mean, you know, you have to go back cause in the weeks after, um, Bristol, we sort of debated, is this over? Is Harvick going to do anything else? And, 
you know, Harvick had made comments like, well, I just hope NASCAR officiates it the same way when the shoe's on the other foot. And, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, we even asked drivers. I remember asking drivers at Talladega, you think Harvick's going to do anything? And like Denny Hamlin was like, nah, he's, he's not going to do anything. Like it's, it's the playoffs, you know, he's going to, he might make his life a little hard, but he's not going to wreck him. He's not going to take him out, you know? And I think that was kind of the general consensus of like, um, I didn't understand that at all. Like I never, you thought always thought he was going to, I'll never forget it. I asked Dustin long on from NBC sports, our colleague or friend on the morning. uh, I was doing serious radio on that Saturday and I asked him on the air. I said, Dustin, do you think anything's going to happen? between Elliot and Chase, it was just over. And he was like very adamant, like it, this is done with and over with. And I'm like, ah, here's why I don't think that's the case. And I remember him walking up to me Sunday night after everything was over. He's like, yeah, I got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, that was like you said though, that was the prevailing sentence was like, this was over and done with. I, I, I didn't see it. Cause I just, think, I think we all know how Harvick is. I don't mean that as a slight, that's makes him who he is, but I just felt like there was going to be an opportunity there. He was going to do it. Now he wasn't going to go out of his way to do it. But if the opportunity presented itself, it felt like it was going to be. Yeah. So, I mean, so he ends up wrecking him at the Roval, which I, to me, that was, that was way over that. That was over the line in, in the response. Like that was too far, um, to go and like intentionally wreck someone out of an elimination race to end their playoffs in response to someone going slow in front of you to take away a win, um, you know, Harvick wasn't Harvick didn't get eliminated from the playoffs or something because of all, all he did was not win the race. Um, and that was in a, in a response, you know, Elliot was already retaliating in, in Elliot's mind. Obviously Harvick didn't think it was fair, but then to, to go intentionally wreck someone like that, uh, I just thought, wow, that's going way too far. And obviously Elliot makes just enough repairs. It seems like to come out again. And, and, and then there's that moment with, Elliot on new tires, Harvick's looking in the rearview mirror. Whatever happened, we don't know. I would love to know that. I would love to know his honest, unvarnished truth about what that moment was like in that race car. And he just wrecks himself. That was unbelievable. Like that still is Kevin Harvick, one of the best drivers ever. Like and and just in complete control of of knowing what he's doing at all times. It feels like Um, lost his composure, wrecked himself, and took himself out of the playoffs. Um, when he was actually having a decent playoff run and, and could have made it, uh, by the way, we don't really know what would have happened there had, had some things played off differently too, because if NASCAR doesn't sort of save Elliot from the bumper cover thing that eventually caused a caution, yeah. Elliot probably would have been eliminated, um, had he had to pit to fix that while Elliot it was wouldn't have been green. in a position to, um, you play head games with Harvick because he wouldn't, he wouldn't, have made, he would have made the rally. I mean, so if you go, you, you mean, you want to do uh, what is the butterfly effect? I mean, if NASCAR, yeah, comes- so Elliot, Elliot would have been out. Harvick yep. would have made the next round. Yep. Um, and Pre- ultimately Elliot makes the final four out of that. And, and then Harvick isn't going to do anything to get Elliot back because conceivably the next opportunity is not at Texas, not at Kansas. It was at Martinsville. That's a cutoff race. Harvick can't be screwing around with that stuff at Martinsville because he's got to well, be Harvick had already at that point already, Maybe no, 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 retaliation, but yeah, Elliot. But, yeah, but he, well, no, Harvick would have, yeah, it would have been over and done with. And then Elliot probably would have just, I, I presume he probably would have let it go. Who knows? I think Elliot would have tried to get him back think in so? another race. Yeah. Like he did for Hamlin. Maybe. Uh, I bet, I bet, I mean, yeah, you could have seen an Elliot taking out Harvick at Martinsville moment for sure. Yeah. I think so. I yeah. think that could have been possible. So, butterfly. But yeah. Butterfly. No, I mean, yeah, it's, 
Oh, just so much happened there. But then, I mean, I, I think one of the, the best lines ever, and I'm not <laughs> taking a side with this, but I mean, for, for Elliot to be interviewed afterwards and then completely straight face, give that, um, merry off season and happy Christmas line, uh, just deliver it. So deadpan. I mean, that was, I it mean, was I, great. I, I mean, the, the, they make, they make the t-shirts out of that and, yeah, I mean that was just a crazy memorable moment. I mean, how could you? I mean, that's just so like here's why. Again, Here, here's okay, why. Yeah, I left that feeling unfulfilled because unfulfilled, unfulfilled to some degree. Now it was great. Everything you mentioned was was great. Elliot's post race comments and how he handled you know, everything was great. But I remember going to the care center. For, well, here's what happened. So Harvick wrecks in, into turn one. He's he's his car's destroyed. He has to he has to go to the care center for a visit. And I thought that, and I'm like. Oh, hell, you know what this means? He's out of the race. He's done. That means he's not going to be on pit road. He's going to be out of here. Uh, we didn't have that moment on pit road. So I left the care center walking back and I went, Harvick's done. Like Harvick's leaving. He's not going to go to pit road. He's not going to do anything. It's like, we're not going to have that moment like we had at Bristol on pit road. We're not going to have that confrontation. Now, Elliot may say something to the cameras or whatever and give some, you know, some, you know, great quote, which he did. But you're not going to have that that confrontation like we wanted. We wanted to see, and that's why it felt like it was just kind of like deflating in some sense. And like I'm Team Chaos, you know this. I always say this. I want chaos. I want post race. I want the craziest outcome. I want upset drivers. I want I want chaos every week. And we we didn't have it because again, it was like if Harvard doesn't if if Harvard continues in that race and then is able to confront Elliot on pit road. Maybe, maybe we have something else that we're talking about more than Bristol. And that's what I felt like that was missing. Yeah. I mean, Harvick didn't really fire back until uh, a couple weeks later when I asked him at Texas, uh, that was our first time he finished top five or whatever. And that was our first time to speak yep. to him because he wasn't obligated to do any uh, previous media anymore. So I just asked him uh, about the midweek conversation that NASCAR had had with them, you know, when NASCAR made yep. them say, all right, you guys got to sell. I guess it was the next week, not two weeks later, but, uh, yeah, anyway. And and then that was when Harvick was like, oh, I'm still baffled. He's worried about me. I had no chance to win a championship. Looks like he should figure out how to take the same car and run as fast as the five. Um, so yeah, you're right. That, that sort of moment got delayed a little bit. There was no confrontation as well. Um, but I just think everything that happened with that, that race, I mean, that, that's such a memorable moment. Um, and I, and it, you know, again, that, at, both that and Bristol is it's, that is NASCAR, right? Like it just sums up everything that NASCAR is and is about like in terms of the rivalries and the racing and the, you know, just the drama that goes into it. It's just, sure. it's unlike anything else because it, that's just sort of encouraged. There's no, like, I mean, imagine if that happened in F1, the, you know, the penalties from the FIA, like they would get so overly involved. And, and I mean, it would, it would have never gotten to that point in the first place. <laughs> Their email server would crash because of all the emails they're sending out from the stewards about post-race, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it would just be like, Oh my gosh, like, are you serious? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is sort of like one of those only in NASCAR type events where it all mixes together. Um, because it, again, it was good racing as part of it, but it's good racing, the drama, um, the bad blood, the rivalries, yeah. What's on the line? The stakes with the 
the playoffs and the format the way it is. I mean, it all has to come together. And so. that's why, and there's been a lot of conversation about the playoff format and the fairness we've had lately. And I just look at this and I say, are you, you look at what we've had in these playoffs, whether it was Bristol, whether it was Roval, whether it was Martinsville, whether it was even Talladega to some degree, Darlington was a great race where, you know, like you guys, you had guys crashing out early. You're not gonna you're not gonna look at NASCAR and say, hey, can you change that? This isn't working because it is to some degree. Like they're getting what they want. Um, whether it's fair or not is a different question. But in terms of the moments and the drama and the intensity, this is what they want, and I just don't see that being changed. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it kind of depends, you know, on on the outcome too. I mean, I think ultimately, as we as we discussed, uh, you know, Larson winning the championship kind of justifies what everybody saw in their minds or felt like they saw as the best car won. So, uh, you know, that adds the credibility to it. So there's no really reason to have an outcry to change it after things like that happen. Uh, it could have been different, but let's talk about some of the the other moments that didn't win, including that one. Uh, neither of us had the Larson championship moment itself on our top five. Any, any reason why, uh, you didn't include it? No, no reason. It was good. It, didn't just it felt like the best driver and the best team were the best when they needed to be they needed a money pit stop and they got it kyle larson needed to be great at the end of the race he he was cliff daniels showed why he's one of nascar's better crew chiefs it just but it's one of those things i don't think we're gonna look back on and be like oh wow that was incredible we're gonna remember this because it wasn't i mean kyle larson at the end of the race he got a phenomenal pit stop and he drove away and won it it wasn't like you know it wasn't like he had to he was going door to door with benny hamlin and fighting them off or anything like that it was it wasn't boring by any means it was it was a great race but it just wasn't one of those things like you look back on you're like oh man damn that was great yeah i agree and the reason is i mean yes he won the championship but if you were looking for sort of like the moment there uh yeah it came down to a pit stop to give him the lead and a late caution from David Starr, And you're just like, Oh, you know, I mean, <laughs> that, that changed the whole outcome of the race. And, um, you know, Truex was probably going to win before that or Hamlin, if he was tracking down Truex, um, you know, I'm not arguing that the right person didn't win or something. It's just that like, that is not enough to make it on my five memorable moments or my five favorite moments, I guess. Um, uh, you had on your list, at least of nominees that would have never made my list. Oh, Trust I, me. yeah. Uh, first laps at Bristol dirt. Yes. Why did you nominate so, this? I'm glad you brought this up. So I remember being, I remember, first of all, I remember being there for practice or for the day of the truck series race and the cup cars were going to have a practice or anything. And there was like this energy, like, oh my goodness, this is actually happening. Like all of the talk, all of the discussion, all of the angry media people saying that this is a horrible idea. <clears throat> cough, cough, Jeff, cluck. Um, and it was like, wow, this is actual reality. And I never on the Sunday, you know, the weather and everything. And you're like, damn, this is. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't you just skip a part? What part was that? You're talking about how you, how the, the first laps of Bristol dirt was so memorable. Didn't they have to stop it because it completely caught going up their into it? Like windshields the, the, and the, Harvick said it was the most terrifying hey, moment the, of his the, the career and all this stuff up to that. And then it was. Everything, then that happened. Then the mud happened. Okay, because it sounded like you just skipped it. No, no, no. It was like the build up to it, like the actual being there. I remember walking it. Like, I remember walking into the press box because we didn't have the garage. We didn't have the garage. And I remember looking down at the track and it was like Bristol. And you're like, it's brown. Bristol Motor Speedway is brown. This is not what Bristol's supposed to be, but it was like, holy hell, this is cool. And 
So then the Sunday, the weather happens and it sucks. Like the it gets washed out. I remember walking in on Monday and it was like, okay, yeah, this, you know, the events the last couple of days maybe weren't what everybody wanted, but this is still, this is Bristol dirt race. This is pretty interesting, kind of cool. I thought it was neat. And so I just thought that was something that personally, I just remember, I thought that was a moment. All right. Well, obviously we wouldn't, we know it wouldn't make my list. As I said, uh, I felt similarly <laughs> and I, I nominated, um, the buzz at Coda before all the terrible yeah. rain. I mean, Coda, you, you're not going to say is one of the best moments of the year because that race was so marred by, uh, the weather and NASCAR, uh, unfortunately, you know, they later said they shouldn't have done it, but, uh, they kept the race going when the drivers could not see at all and it resulted in one wreck. Then they restarted it and resulted in another terrible wreck, uh, down that, that backstretch there. And, and it was rain short and just kind of ruined the race. But I remember like, you know, walking around on race morning and, uh, that weekend and, uh, the tweet up we had that day. I mean, people were just so uh, that, that race, uh, was like sort of one of the ones where I felt like people had sort of been coming back to the track for the first time. Um, and you know, like maybe people hadn't been to a race since the pandemic and they said, you know what, we're going to go to Coda. A lot of people from like a lot of Twitter followers from all over the country. I felt like we're at that one. Um, one of our listeners from Puerto Rico was there. Like it's, it was just like a big, it felt like a big event and it, unfortunately it didn't turn out the way that uh, people wanted, but, um, it was still, it was still cool. And I, and actually I, that's, I voted that number five for my fifth best moment of the year. Uh, just that that was a really cool sort of, uh, memorable thing I, I felt like, uh, despite what happened later. Yeah. Um, I, I had that on my list. We, we exchanged with each other kind of setting this up and I thought it was, I thought the, the buzz, the hype, the, the excitement about Coda, like how cool this was, that this, this was a track that people long had said, Hey, why don't we go to Coda and race? Why don't we go to Coda and race? And like, Oh, you can't cause it's Texas motor speedway, but then everything fell into place for this to happen. So I think that was a really cool thing. It's unfortunate it unfolded the way it did because I think a lot of people were very disappointed leaving there, but the, 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 the the excitement going into that race is undeniable. Other nominees we had, um, I threw this on there just in case we want to do anything with it. Neither of us ended up voting for it, but, uh, the Daytona, the, excuse me, the, the, the Daytona cutoff race, the regular season finale was exciting. Once again, uh, ended in overtime with Blaney winning it, but Chris Busher had a chance mm-hmm. to win his way into the playoffs. Uh, Corey LaJoy did Tyler Reddick had to outduel his teammate, Austin Dillon, to win that one, uh, to get the final spot on points, I think. And, uh, anyway, it was just, a, it was an exciting race. It was Very good great, race. you know, for them to be in the cutoff. Another one, um, you had as one of your top moments, uh, Bowman wins Pocono after Larson's, uh, tire problem, or was it, did he run out of fuel or did he have a tire problem? No, a tire problem. He, so, tire problem on the last yeah, lap. Which, yeah, which, you know, you gotta remember the context here. Larson has won three straight point races. He plus the all-star race. So he's won four races in a row. He's about to win four point four straight points races, which is a pretty remarkable feat in NASCAR. And he's dominating. He's a corner away, blows a tire, slams the wall. His teammate wins the race. That to me was like one of those holy leap moments, <laughs> you know, like you couldn't believe what was happening. So that, that to me was just one of those things because Larson didn't look like he was ever going to lose a race. And then he ends up blowing a tire and crashes out. Yep. So uh, another one that we had on our nominees list was um, Kurt Busch trolling Kyle Busch after the <laughs> uh, Atlanta victory there, uh, hyped up the crowd at his brother's expense. Brother didn't appreciate that. Uh, that was some drama. There was a lot of drama that day in the uh, 
the pre-race availabilities were maybe one of the best of the years in terms of content drivers talking about the crash test and how they're out of the loop with communication yeah. and all that stuff. And that was really, uh, that was a memorable weekend. We were both at that one. Can we give Denny um, Hamlin, by the way, like some kind of like a media award, like other sports, they give like the media good guy award for like the best interview person. I feel like Denny Hamlin should probably get some kind of reward from us because he has been a very good interview this year where he's been very candid about his opinion on things. So I just feel like we need to you know, tip our hat to him in some manner. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely outspoken this year, um, in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, you definitely sort of give him sort of like the, the quotable guy of the year where I think I did my all quote team, uh, projected before the year. And, uh, I'm not sure I had him on it or not, but he's the MVP um, baby. Yeah. I mean, he clearly was the, the one who gave us the most uh, content in terms of quotes. Um, never shy about expressing his opinion all year long, whether it was about charters or, I mean, he's just, Everything. I guess he, he team economics uh, doesn't care that he's going to get himself in trouble, I guess. And uh, was willing to more than ever just say what was on his mind. So Chase Elliott fans you need people like that. Yeah, no, I mean, you look, whether you agree with him or not, you need people that are going to say what they feel instead of just, you know, taking it behind the scenes and never say anything and just giving the PC answer. Right. I mean, people, it's funny how fans hate Danny Hamlin so much. They really do. I mean, he's probably one of the most oh, hated yeah. drivers now, right? But um, at the same time, fans are always like, we want drivers to speak their minds and all this stuff. And, you know, he's the one who speaks his mind more than any, even more than Kyle Busch, he speaks his mind now. Um, but people just don't like what he has to say. So uh, in addition to his actions, I guess. Anyway, uh, Indy Road Course Chaos was something you nominated. I wasn't going to include that just because, I mean, yeah, you had the, the chase Briscoe punting Hamlin moment after Briscoe's already penalized, then Almendinger wins. But the whole part about like the, 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 uh, curbs ripping up the cars. I'm not saying it was it good, into, but it was certainly a moment. Maybe it wasn't a good moment, but it was a moment. Well, this is our favorite moments list. That's not going to be one of my favorite. Well, I just, I mean, it was chaotic. If you like chaos, that's the race for you. But. I'm the president of team chaos. So this is, this is our, uh, I mean, it's just card. like, again, I mean, to me, like I I'm, t I'm so over at this point in general, any, you know, just I'll say this every single time it happens. I, I don't want these professional elite drivers and teams who have spent their entire careers getting to this point to be put in clown car circus situations where they look like fools uh, or look goofy for something that's not even their fault. And the curbs were that way. I mean, you take away the Brickyard 400, a prestigious race. Yeah, it was boring at times, but you replace it with that um, on the road course and they had to stop the race and cars are getting torn up just for going over curbs and stuff. And I just, you know, yeah, I just, I wasn't in favor of that. Another moment that was along those lines, at least at the start, but turned out to be a good race, makes your number fifth, uh, your number five, uh, your fifth best moment. Uh, favorite moment of the year. And that was New Hampshire motor speedway. Why did you vote that number five and uh, keep some of these other moments off your list? It is very rare in NASCAR where you get a unpredictable winner straight up where we've had it before, like a Justin Haley wins Daytona cup race, but that was because of rain, you know, different circumstances. Now, Michael McDowell winning Daytona 500, but that's a speedway race. We've seen that before. And I will, we've argued, we ain't argue, we agree on this. Like McDowell winning that race while surprising wasn't completely unexpected. Right. Almarola won at New Hampshire, not because of rain, not because of circumstances. He won because he had the best car in a year where Stuart House Racing wasn't very good. Very rarely do you see a driver and team come out of nowhere and hit on it and blow everybody's doors off and win a race. 
And the fact that he needed to win that race to make the playoffs and salvage his season and in the big picture, honestly, help lock in Smithfield Foods to re-up with Stuart Haas Racing, which keeps Omarola with that team. It's just it's one of those moments that to me is it's really cool. You don't see it happen a lot. And we saw that happen in a terrific race on a track that frankly hasn't been very good to us over the last few years. We haven't seen a lot of great racing there, but this was a very good race, a competitive race where you had guys good on long runs, short runs, and then you had the darkness coming and you didn't know what was going to happen. So I agree. Start of that race was bad, whatever. Don't disagree about that. Um, but just seeing a driver come out of nowhere like that and beat people straight up was, was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you look back at the year they had and obviously it's only victory for Stuart Haas racing all year, but you, th- you think to yourself, how could, you know, what, what could we have seen to have that, that coming? And the only thing is like at Nashville super speedway, he had, he had won the pole and he ended up finishing fourth. And that was a really good run. And that was the 750 package that they used at that track. And that was about, I don't know, a month or so before Loudon. Um, then they get to Loudon and he only led 25 laps, but I mean, he clearly um, deserved to win that race and won it straight up. And and you're like, okay, well, is he going to follow it up? Um, you know, because he had gotten, that was his only, those were his only two top five finishes of the entire year. Mm-hmm. You know, he had, he had finished like a sixth at spring Richmond, which was another 750 race. Um, he, you know, he was okay. Middle of the road at some of the other ones. He ended up finishing the year, uh, two more shorter tracks, at least sixth at Martinsville and sixth in the finale at Phoenix, which is a similar track to New Hampshire. But it was never the same sort of speed at all that we saw that day at New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, just sort of hard to explain how they could come out of nowhere like that, hit on it, and not hit on it really anywhere else all year. Um, but they yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. What's <laughs> and, looking, and, and looking back, like who would have said at the beginning of the year Stuart House Racing was going to only have one win this season, and it wasn't going to be Kevin Harvick, it wasn't going to be Cole Custer or Chase Briscoe or highly all-regarded for very, you know, it was me, Eric Almirola at New Hampshire, beating everybody straight up. Like people look at you like you're crazy. Yep. What a year, crazy year. And ultimately, you know, someone pointed out uh, to me that I believe it was, uh, ult- you know, by the time it was all said and done, despite Kyle Larson winning double digit races, the first driver to do so since 2007, there ended up being 16 different winners this year. Um, now, obviously, we we always talked about the 16 different winners thing in relation to will that happen before <laughs> the playoffs? Uh, that obviously did not happen. But um, yeah, 16 different winners. A lot of guys just won one race. Bubba Wallace, Almondinger, McDowell, Almirola, Kurt Busch, Byron, Logano, Kozlowski, Christopher Bell. Um, you had Hamlin, Elliott, and Kyle Busch won two apiece. Blaney won three. Bowman and Truex won four. Larson won 10. Um, obviously Harvick among those with, with zero weird as that is. So yeah, it's definitely a year to remember, uh, the final year, obviously of, of the, uh, old gen car now, I guess, um, final year of, how do we refer to that (laughs) team built cars of, uh, five lug nuts, at least in cup. Is this where you get emotional Um, on the podcast? Cause I know you're, you know, I'm just building up the, the fact that the underscoring the point you made earlier that I think that this year will be looked upon fondly yeah. as in distance with, with more distance in years, the way that uh, people look back, even some of the races 10 years ago at the time they were saying, uh, this sucks is boring, whatever. 
Jimmy Johnson's winning too much. And now people sort of pine for those days or whatever and go, man, those were the good days. Or well, we may see, um, we may see a re, uh, we may see Jimmy Johnson 2.0 with uh, Kyle Larson and Cliff Daniels. Cause I just, it, uh, it's going to be pretty hard. It's going to be pretty hard to do. We'll see. I think it, it well, I mean, if the car, this car is supposed to be about driver talent, we can debate whether that is or not. And at the end of the day, it's supposed to be about driver talent and drivers are supposed to make the biggest difference. I mean, is there a better driver pound for pound in NASCAR? I mean, no. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be very, very hard to dominate now going forward because with all the car, you know, like, you know, initially yes. look at it all year and say Hendrick had the best cars. They had the fastest cars and going forward. If everybody has the same cars and the same equipment, except the engines and yeah, you can figure out something to do some setup to do, but, um, you're not just gonna be able to build fa a faster car than somebody else anymore. So you would think it's going to be a lot harder to dominate. And with the playoff format the way it is in the first place, it's going to be a lot harder to just survive the rounds and, and win year after year like Jimmy did. So I think, you know, I don't know that we're going to see another 10 race winner like Larson had this year for at least another decade. I'm going to call it right now. So I think it's going to be a long time. I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I. And I don't think, I mean, Larson might end up with, I don't know, say four titles because he's pretty young still. He's not even 30, but. Um, I mean, you know, so he's got a lot of years left, but I, I just, yeah, I'm not, and I, mean, I wouldn't be prepared for this. I'm not saying that he's going to become the next Jimmy Johnson and win seven championships or five in a row, but I think he is going, he, the potential is very real for him to become that driver who everybody looks at him and be like, geez, man, this guy is never going to lose. This guy wins every single year, you know, that kind of thing. You can talk about the playoffs and whether that manifests itself in the championships, but him winning races, I think that's very real possibility that he's going to be one of those guys who wins a lot year in and year out. I think he'll win. I know. I, I think he'll win a lot. It's just that, you know, to kind of have the, the kind of dominant season that he had this year. Um, I don't know. I don't see it, but we'll see. We I don't know. We'll find out. And that's why know. we get to look yeah. forward to next year. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's going to be next year's. Yeah. It's going to be tough to predict for sure. <laughs> Good luck on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody, um, that was our favorite moments of this year. Tweet us and let us know if you agreed or if we forgot one, there's probably one like obvious one I'm, that we forgot and people are going to be like, how did you guys yeah, not I'm, include this? I'm dreading this whatever, by the way. Know? I like, yeah, I went I through, I combed through, I, we were talking about doing this. I went through, I combed through the races. I'm like, okay, I think we're good. And like, and you asked me like, Hey, would you forget anything? So I threw back a couple more. I'm like, I'm sure there's going to be one out there. where are just like you idiots. Like I thought about like including even Josh Barry winning the Martinsville Xfinity series race or Noah Gregson and David Starr at Homestead. Like how deep do we want to go on this? <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to go too far down in terms of like trucks and Xfinity and stuff. Cause then it hope opens a whole other thing. Yeah. But, um, every year I always tell myself, you know, this is going to be the year where I start this whole file of like quotes of the year, races of the year, worst moments of the year, best moments of the year. And then at the end of the season, when we're doing these podcasts, we won't even have to like go back and try to remember stuff. It'll all be just right there. And I can never keep up with it. Like even at the playoffs this year, for the first couple of races, I started this file of like things that playoff drivers, things that happen to playoff drivers. So I go back and say, now remember at Darlington, this guy had a tire go down or whatever. Right. And you know, you, you, you just lose focus on it after like a moment like Bristol night race and, and you get so caught up with that. You forgot to go up and update it or whatever. So anyway, one of these years, but, uh, in the meantime, everybody, again, thanks for listening. And, and, uh, one more reminder that if it's uh Sunday 
November 28th or Monday, November 29th, that the Black Friday deal is still in effect. We don't think it's going to get extended as far as we know beyond that. $1 a month for a year for new subscribers to the entire athletic site. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash the teardown. You can see that deal there. And uh, Jordan, only one more podcast. We will have some topic. I don't know what we'll talk about uh, since we've wrapped up the season a couple times already, I guess. But um, we'll have one live and in person in Nashville. We'll get that out to you. And then um, I'm going to be off for the rest of the year, taking the second part of my parental leave. So leaving it in the capable hands of Jordan. Bianco I'm to off too. Man the site. I think oh, I'm, you're off too. I'm okay, off so. all but like one week. That's why no more podcasts after <laughs> next week until January, but we'll be back in first week of January yeah, with relax, summer. recharge, so, you know, ready to go. Yeah, exactly. We'll start looking ahead to everything that 22, 2022 will bring. But anyway, in the meantime, thank you as always uh, for listening all year. And we will talk to you next time on the tarot.